what is up, Substance? It's so good to be in church with you today. Can we just welcome our downtown campus, West Side, Monterey, Mexico. We love you guys. And to all the churches joining us on video, we're so honored to have you do church with us today. In case we haven't met, I am Pastor Carolyn Haas, and my husband Peter and I, we planted this church over 18 years ago, and I am just so excited to share the Bible with you. So I'm going to warn you up front, you're going to want to get your notebooks out, your, your phone app, whatever you do to take notes, because I'm going to give you lots of scriptures and lots of insights for your life today from God's Word. So we planted Substance over 18 years ago. But Peter and I have been in full-time ministry for over 27 years. So here's our heart. We, there, we moved here 18 years ago because statistically in the Twin Cities, like if you're under the age of 34, less than 1% go to church. So there's millions of people in this city, in this region, who do not know God, which means they do not have life. They don't have joy. They don't have peace. And I don't know about you, but I've personally experienced God. Like he has healed me. He has set me free. He has provided for me. Like he's given me joy and peace and he continues to. And so I can't help speaking about what I've seen and heard. I've got to fire my bones because I can't just selfishly hold God to myself. I have to proclaim who he is, what his word does in our lives. And so that's what we're passionate about here at Substance is we want you. Those aren't just a video clip that we share like we want you to know God and it's some cute little. No, like literally I need you to know God. Because when you know God, you will have everything you need for life and godliness. Like everything that you need is through your knowledge of him. Like I want you to experience freedom and breakthroughs and miracles and healing. Not just for you, but for your coworkers. Some of you are in a job right now that you can't stand. But you know what? God has you there and he's not removed you from that job because there's a coworker who does not know him. And you are the only Christian in that workplace. And so you're there not because of you and your career and how it makes you feel about yourself, but you're actually there on mission so that you can pray for that coworker and you can share God's love with them. Are you hearing me this morning? We're not going through the motions of a church service today, but we are here engaging in community to experience God together. That's what I love about the church. We're not here having an isolated experience with God, but we're coming together and saying, I want to be around other people I want to get to know God more. I want to do it through community. So in the 27 years of Peter and I pastoring people, there's a common issue that we've had to deal with a lot, actually. One of the common issues that we've dealt with people is I see a lot of people that get stuck. They get stuck in a ditch, so to speak. Okay, winters in Minnesota, we know what it's like to get stuck in a ditch, right? And you got to have somebody help you out. Usually when you're stuck in a snowstorm in a ditch, you usually can't get out by yourself, right? Well, we see this in people's lives all the time. For some people, they're stuck in their relationships. For some people, they're stuck in their marriage. Maybe it's your physical body or it's an addiction or in your parenting where you just feel stuck, like you're in a rut, like you can't get out of what you're in. Well, I'll never forget, you know, I was talking to this girl and uh, she was stuck in this like dysfunctional dating relationship. And it was so obvious to the, all of us out here. And you know what was so funny is I would give her wisdom and it, it's not like I'm trying to be controlling. Like you can marry whoever you want to marry, but like I actually care about you and I want to see you thrive in this dating relationship. Like it's not good. It's not healthy. So every time we talk, I'd encourage her like God has something more. God has something healthy for you. And she'd get all pumped up and she's like, you're right, Pastor Carolyn. I believe it. Okay, okay. But then every time I'd meet with her, nothing would change. 
like nothing would happen. In fact, things would actually get worse. She'd go deeper into the dysfunctional relationship. And I remember thinking, what is going on? Like, what is her deal? Like, why is she making such illogical decisions? Why isn't she able to make a healthy decision? I mean, she technically has the knowledge. She knows this is not healthy. But she's stuck. She isn't doing it. Well, one day I was reading Matthew 13, and I figured it out. I found out what her issue was. It's the story of the parable of the seed and the sower. It's an incredible story. I encourage you to read it on your own, Matthew 13. I'm not going to go through the whole passage. But what the story is, is Jesus taught that God is like a farmer, and that God is actually sowing seeds of his word into a field. Okay, so imagine God is sowing seeds, it's his word, into a field. We are that field. And in the parable of the seed and the sower, as you study it, you'll see that there's four different soils. Now, what's crazy is in three of the soils, the seed never bore fruit. It actually died. And only in one soil did it actually produce a harvest of righteousness, peace, life. So the moral that Jesus was teaching in Matthew 13 is that God's word has the power to change everything. But we have to be aware of the soil content of our heart. Jesus said if we listen, if we understand, and if we apply the promises of God, it will literally give us 30, 60, 100-fold return. Imagine that. Like, like seriously. Like, do you, I mean, there's not even financial investments that do 30, 60, 100-fold, right? So can you imagine if we apply the promises of God's word to our finances, 30, 60, 100-fold return in your life. If you applied the promises of God to your physical body, 30, 60, 100-fold return. The promises of God to your relationships, to direction and calling for your life. We're talking huge investment. But here's what's crazy. Unfortunately, the Bible teaches that 75% of people who hear God's word, we're not talking about people outside of the church or outside of Christianity. 75% of people who hear God's word won't experience this. How sad is that? I mean, look around right now. Imagine if three out of the four people in this room are not experiencing breakthrough right now. That's crazy. Yet Jesus says that is the sad reality for most people. The good news is we can control it. And so this is what we're going to talk about today. I want to teach you how, and we're going to do a fascinating Bible study today on three tactics of the devil. And the reason why we're going to talk about three tactics of the devil is because in the parable of the seed and the sower... The first seed, it fell on this path. And it, scripture says the birds came and ate it. And Jesus explained it this way. Matthew 13, 19 says this. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. So Jesus introduces us to a character here called the evil one. We also know him as the devil. And what does the devil do? He snatches away what was sown in their heart. The seed of God's word which was sown, the devil comes and snatches it before it could produce fruit. Interestingly enough, Jesus reveals the same tactic of the devil in John 10.10. 10. Check the scripture out. The thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you would have it to the full. So based on these scriptures, what is the devil doing? He's snatching the seed. He's stealing. So the first tactic I want you to write down, it's the first tactic of the devil. And with each of these tactics I'm going to give you today, it's actually like a nickname of the devil in scripture. The first one is this, the thief steals. 
the thief steals. Now, why is this important for you and I today? I think a lot of people think that God is the one who's actually against them. You know, we think that God is withholding provision. God is withholding clarity for our lives. God is withholding justice. Or maybe God is withholding joy or peace. We actually think God is the one who's afflicting me. You know, recently Peter was telling me about a scientific study he found that our view of God has a huge correlation to mental illness. In fact, in April 2013, the Journal of Religion and Health says this. People who believe God to be angry are more likely to suffer from anxiety, paranoia, obsession, and compulsion. Isn't that crazy? Again, our view of God has a huge correlation to our mental illness. Mental illness is even just another, our emotional state, our thoughts, our level of peace, our level of joy, our level of anxiety. Are you hearing me today? Our view of God, it's so critical that we understand. Now, why is this important? And the devil knows this. The devil knows about this correlation, and he knows, ooh, if I can just deceive people, then I'm gonna, he's going to constantly try to confuse us about who's doing the stealing and the killing. In fact, did you know there's whole twisted theologies that like argue that God predestines people to be robbed? Okay, that's not true. Which is why Jesus had to spell it out to us like we're third graders. Like, nope, the thief kills, steals, and destroys. I came to give life, John 10.10. 10. Why does this matter for us today? God wants you to know his intentions for you. Like, he came to give you life. He wants you fired up with joy. And that happens when you have confidence in him. If you don't have confidence in something, you, you can't have joy. Do you know what I mean? So we've got to understand who God is so that we can have confidence in who he is, so that we can have joy and strength. 1 John 2, 1 says that you have an advocate in heaven. I just love that. It's like we've got an attorney already on our behalf that's in heaven. In fact, Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus lives to intercede for us. Like right now, Jesus is up before the Father interceding for you. He's interceding for you. He sees you. He is for you. And I believe God brought you to church today to get a fire back in your bones where you'd say, doggone it, I am going to get that breakthrough. I am going to get that breakthrough because I have an advocate. I have Jesus who's interceding for me. I'm not alone in this. This isn't just on me. I've got a savior. I've got an advocate. I've got an intercessor. Man, my marriage, my family, it is going to get better. I believe it. And I'm going to pray and invite God into that. I am going to experience healing. I'm not going to struggle with infertility. And I'm going to prophesy to my physical body that there will be life. I will receive God's peace. Jesus promises peace of heart and peace of mind. So we can hold on to that scripture and receive God's peace. Some of you need to know today that you are going to find a spouse who's not ugly and who loves Jesus. They're out there. That's why we've got small groups. You can check them out. But we are careful. We do watch. If you get creepy, we will call you, you know. And even for some of you today, like even if things don't look like they're going your preferred way, you're going to choose to believe it's because God's plan is even better. But you can't think that way. You can't believe that way unless you know God. Let's remember the thief steals. Everybody say the thief steals. Okay, the next tactic we're going to talk about is a little more subtle. And remember, these tactics, why are they important today? Because they are the things that are hindering God's word. When God's word is sown into our lives as a field, 
We want it to produce fruit, but there's things that the enemy does to steal, to hinder God's word from bearing fruit. So the next tactic is this. Number two, the accuser condemns. The accuser condemns. I encourage you to read Revelation 12. It's so crazy how it talks about the devil. Revelation 12, verse 10, it refers to the devil as the accuser of the brethren. And it actually says he is the one who is deceiving the whole world. That's a whole separate sermon. Like he's deceiving the whole world. And then it says he accuses day and night. Accuses day. Isn't it interesting that Jesus lives to intercede for us? But the devil lives to accuse us day and night. He accuses us day and night. It's incessant. It's nonstop accusations. Always reminding us of our mistakes. Always whispering in their ears, it's too late. You're behind. You're not good enough. You're a failure. You've messed up too much. But let me give you a little life hack today. Recently, someone was asking me, Carolyn, what do I do? Like, when I feel shame, how do I even know if it's God or how do I know if it's the devil? Like, you know, you've seen that cartoon, old school cartoons where they had the little angel and the little devil, right? We've got these two voices that it can be, how do we know? So we're not confused by it. Let me give you two words that you can write down. And it's the difference between conviction in condemnation. Conviction comes from God. It comes from his Holy Spirit. In fact, John, 8, John talks about the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So conviction comes from God. It's laser-like. It's specific. It's literally, let me give you an example. So it'd be like, Carolyn, I told you not to eat that giant bag of licorice Tuesday night. I really like candy. Um, the solution is equally specific. Car Carolyn, would you just confess it to a friend and get accountability? Like, come on. Like, it's, it's specific, right? It's conviction is specific, surgical, and it leads to resolution. It leads to life. Condemnation, on the other hand, always has a hazy feeling of unworthiness. It's oppressive. It's hazy. It's confusing. There's just this general feeling of you're a failure. You're always going to be a failure. You're behind. You're not enough. You're not competent. There's nothing clear that you've done wrong because it's just hazy. It's, there's no clear solution. And here's what's interesting. When we live in this haze of condemnation, we tend to run from God instead of to him. I think that's really important. Let me say that again. When we live in the haze of condemnation, we tend to run from God instead of to him. In fact, let me even ask you this. Is there, is there an area in your life where you're not going to God for help? You find yourself running from him. It could be there's a root of condemnation. There could be accusations that, that you have not realized that are from the devil. And the reason why this is so important is this is actually where we're deceived. Because we think God is accusing us. Therefore, we run from him. But remember, the accuser of the brethren, he is deceiving the whole world, Revelation 12.10. Accusing is his job description. It's what he does. So everybody say, the thief steals, the accuser condemns. Okay, and our third tactic in the name of the devil is this. Number three, the father of lies whispers. Okay, check out this verse, John 8.44. It's talking of the devil. It says, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he, the devil, is a liar and the father of lies. Okay, this is so profound to us. It's the only language he speaks. He speaks lies. There is no truth in him. Let that sink in for a second. There's no truth in him. 
Here's where it gets subtle. The father of lies, he whispers quietly. Think about what he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis 3, 1, he whispers, did God really say that? Like he just, he loves to whisper doubting, confusing thoughts that, or think about what he said to Jesus in Matthew 4, 3. Are you really the son of God? Like prove it, prove who you are. Like he just challenges them. Like, and thankfully Jesus didn't need the challenge and he didn't take the challenge, but the devil loves to whisper subtle doubts, questions, lies. He loves to prey upon our insecurities, our triggers, and he'll even twist scripture because the devil actually knows the Bible. And so he'll take partial phrases from scriptural and then he'll twist it. So if you and I don't know the Bible, we'll actually think, oh, that's a scripture. That's what the Bible says because that's how subtle he is. Now, the reason it's so critical we understand this last tactic is if you and I do not deal with our lies, our children will. Check out this verse, Amos 2.4. It's so wild. God says, the people of Judah have sinned again and again. They have rejected the instruction of the Lord, refusing to obey his decrees. They have been led astray by the same lies that deceived their ancestors. Wow. I, I love this scripture because it reveals to us, that first of all, there's patterns of sin. The people, they've, they've sinned again and again. There's a pattern. There's a rut. The lies have led them astray. Lies don't lead you to the truth. They lead you astray, which means you are lost, which means you're on a detour. And the same lies that deceived your ancestors. That means there's family lies. There's historical national lies. There's, there, there's lies from our ancestors that deceive us. Don't think for a second that this is just about you. This is about your kids. And this is about your children's children. Because if you and I don't deal with our lust or our discontentment or our insecurities or our traumas or our triggers, like, they will. Some of us, we just grew up normal, thinking like it's normal to be angry all the time. And we even blame our nationality for it. Like, some of us think it's normal to struggle with debt. Like, it's just the world we live in. It's America. You know, they're in, America's in debt, so we can be in debt. It's normal to ignore weight issues. Here's one I hear a lot. Yeah, you know, it's just normal to stuff my emotions. Like, yep, my family, we don't, we don't do emotions. Nope. It's just, we don't. Well, God gave them to you, so I would suggest you start learning how to identify and work through your emotions. I'm tired. There's no personality or cultural way you grew up that advocates, oh, you get a pass on emotions. You don't have to deal with them. I'm being serious. <laughs> I don't want to hear it's a Minnesota thing. I'm serious. Like, when you get to heaven, God's got to go, oh, you're from Minnesota. You get a pass on emotions, you know. Like, no, God created them. And it's okay if your family didn't know how to deal with them. But you are now responsible to invite Jesus in. Are you hearing me today? For some of you, you, think, you grew up thinking it's just normal to struggle with sex addiction. It's what you've seen in your family over generations and generations. It's what you see in culture. And so you've just accepted it as normal. In fact, for some of us, we've so embraced the lie as our reality, as our truth, that we actually get irritated and defensive when people suggest otherwise. Do you know what I mean? 
Like people who aren't getting healthy often become critics of those who are. I'll never forget years ago, I was getting fatalistic about my own weight. The devil had been whispering in my ears, you're always going to be overweight, Carolyn. It's your new normal. It's just who you are. At the time, I was 45 pounds overweight. My health scores were not well with the doctor. And I remember my friend who was my accountability partner at the time, she's like, hey, Carolyn, are you ready to get serious about this? Like, you've been talking about it for years. <laughs> and I'm just going to be honest, I was so mad. Like, how dare you? Like, who does she think she is? Like, I mean, ironically, I'd asked her for accountability, but I didn't think she'd actually do it, you know? Like, how dare you do the thing I asked you to do? I realized I wanted fake accountability. You know what that is? It's like when you have friends and you get together for coffee and you talk about your struggles, but actually what you really want is you want them to make you feel comfortable about your struggles. And you want them to feel comfortable about your coping mechanisms like, yeah, it's okay, I get it, it's been a stressful week, you know, you can do that, you know. I wanted friends who'd give me permission to eat whatever I wanted. I wanted friends, I didn't want friends who'd help me grow. I didn't want friends who'd help me surrender my body to the Lord. My appetite, my thoughts, my emotions, my disciplines, my preferences, my habits. The truth was, it was just like the story I started out with with the girl. Like this time, I was the one who was stuck. I was the one who was believing lies. I was the one, the seed was getting stolen. I was not experiencing the fruitfulness of God's word in my physical life, in my physical health. Are you hearing me today? I wasn't experiencing 30, 60, 100-fold return from God's word. And sometimes because we grew up with these lies, they actually become comfortable. Like they're so normal and they're our normal, we don't even realize it's a lie. It's not like we're purposely saying, I want to be deceived. You know what I mean? Like we're, we don't know we're living in a lie, okay? Like we're so inundated with a culture that normalizes lies and we live in a culture that's been deceived by the father of lies, Revelation 12, 10, that we just, it's just normal to, I'm always going to be anxious. I'm always going to live in fear. Yep, it's just, it's as normal as the air we breathe. We don't even realize the deception we're in. So how do we counteract these tactics? I'm glad you asked. All right, this is what we're going to do today. So the short answer is this. I want you guys to make a lie list. Okay, so what do I mean? So and we're going to make lie lists this next week, and I want you to allow God's word, godly friends, and godly mentors to speak to that list. What do I mean by a lie list? Okay, I want you to get out a journal, whether it's a physical paper journal, whether it's a digital on your phone or laptop or iPad, have a journal. Have a specific note section where you label it lie list, okay? And what we're going to do is you're going to start identifying the lies that you specifically are tempted to believe. There are certain lies, and, and as you expose yourself to godly people through small groups, as you expose yourself to God's word in Bible reading and in church, like, you're going to start seeing, oh, there are certain lies that I'm specifically tempted to believe that, that you aren't. Like, we're, we got different lists. Like, we all have different lies. And so it's super it's actually a fun exercise, and it's really fun to do it with safe, godly friends, because, and we'll get to that in a minute, but there's just so much fun and freedom that comes through this. Because you have your own normal, that you just think it's normal. I will always struggle with fill in the blank. I will never be free of this addiction. I will always be passed over for promotion. 
God doesn't like to do miracles for me. Whatever those lies are, when you discover them, I want you to put them on this lie list, this ongoing list of lies. And once you identify a few, I want you to write down some scriptures that combat those lies. Okay, God's word is true. And in fact, Psalm 18 just says God's word is perfect. His promises are true. So we write down God's word. There's, there's a scripture to combat every lie of the enemy. So when the devil whispers, you aren't good enough, you're ugly, you'll never be successful, you'll never be healed, you're always going to be confused and lack clarity. Here, no, you can be like, no, no, here's the truth. Psalm 139.14 says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Jeremiah 29, 11 says he knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Ephesians 3, 20, he can do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. Generous God. Psalm 37, 4, I love this one. When you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Notice, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. We just want to delight ourselves in ourselves, and we want to delight ourselves in our desires and passions, and we think that's going to give us the desires of our heart. No, no, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. I will watch over you. That's such an encouraging verse. I don't know about you, but I need wisdom and counsel from the Lord. So to know, okay, God, thank you for your promise that you will instruct me. You will teach me in the way I should go. I'm not in this by myself. You know, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he didn't respond with his own opinions. Well, my family did it this way, and my culture says this, and I read a blog and TikTok, and eh, I don't know. Like, well, how did he respond when the devil tempted him? He quoted scripture. It was the only tool that silenced the enemy. And I'm telling you, scripture is filled with promises to counteract the lies of the enemy. But here's what you need to know. It's important that you get godly friends and mentors to speak to this lie list. Because sometimes we don't just need information, we need impartation. I remember way back, 27 years ago, Peter just started preaching. We were in Wisconsin at this amazing church, and we were youth pastors at the time, and so Peter would do every Wednesday night, but then if the pastors were ever out of town, they would ask him to do a Sunday morning. So this was one of his first Sunday mornings. He's super nervous, but he's really excited to be able to preach. They were out of state at a conference, and so he was actually doing a sermon on teachability. And so as he had just made this point, and it was something to the effect of, like, a teachable person needs to have humility to listen, even when it's hard. Kind of a basic, you know, just be humble, be teachable, stick in the conversation. And all of a sudden, in the middle of his message, a woman on this side of the auditorium literally stands to her feet and starts shouting at him. And she literally is like, well, pastor, if you're teachable, then you need to listen to my confrontation. It was crazy. It was so insane. Okay, like, of course, it caught the whole congregation off guard. It's like, what is, it's like Twilight Zone, you know, what's happening here? And then she started ranting about how all pastors are manipulative and abusive, and they have a tendency to blah, blah, blah. Here's what's crazy. The ushers weren't doing anything. Like, nobody was removing her. Nobody was, it was, like, so awkward. To make matters worse, when Peter tried responding to her, a woman on this side of the auditorium literally stands to her feet and says, that lady is right you shouldn't even be teaching. What you're saying isn't even biblical. I mean, it was like the audience was starting to riot with pitchforks. I mean, it was like, it was so like, oh, you know. And Peter wasn't saying anything radical. Like, 
But it was so bizarre. I mean, he was so shell-shocked. I mean, you're not, that's not a situation that most speakers are prepared to handle, um, let alone ushers. Maybe we need to add that to our usher training. But anyway, um, <laughs> of course, it killed the whole vibe of the service. Like, how do you recover from that? Like, Jesus loves you. You know, like, this is just awkward, you know. Um, Peter's new to preaching. His whole sermon is torpedoed by these ladies. Um, Here's what was crazy. Afterwards, we found out it was a mother-daughter duo. Okay, they had just been kicked out of another church, and this was their first Sunday at our church, and they purposely came to raise up trouble. Like, it's so weird, you know. But no one knew that at the time. You know what's crazy is uh, the worst part was yet to happen. After this, no one said anything to Peter. No one affirmed him after the service. No one apologized for not helping out. I mean, a few people cracked a few jokes, you know, oh, that was an exciting service, <laughs> you know. Um, but it was traumatizing. Peter was going through so much post-traumatic stress. He didn't even know it. And not surprisingly, Peter started second-guessing everything. Did I just, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be teaching. Like, I mean, if I was a better teacher, I would have been able to respond. I didn't respond well. Like, maybe she's right. Maybe I shouldn't be preaching. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Did I deserve that? I certainly didn't handle that situation well. For eight months, Peter wrestled with thoughts of self-doubt, of trauma, of just ruminating crazy thoughts in his mind, like, I don't even want to preach. In fact, every night before he would preach, he couldn't sleep. Like, the, the adrenaline and the anxiety of, of that one experience so messed with him that he's like, I don't even know if I should preach. I don't even know if I should be a pastor or should be in ministry. Looking back, it's super obvious what was happening. The devil was trying to preach, was trying to steal Peter's call to preach. And what was his tactic? Accusing and whispering lies. For a season, it was working. And here's what's so interesting about situations like this. I'm sure the reason why no one said anything was because it was clear and obvious to everyone that women were crazy. You know, why would Peter even be tempted to believe that lie? We often think that, like, why would you believe that lie? Like, it's always shocking, the lies that we are tempted to believe. How many of you know when you're traumatized or triggered by someone or something, your mind can play tricks on you? And let me say it this way, a traumatized heart creates a vandalized mind. You want to know what healed Peter? He allowed his mentors to speak to his lie list. He went to our boss, the lead pastor at the time, and he said, hey, enough to preach? Like, should I be doing this? Like, what did I do wrong? We made a short list of godly people who we knew they can hear from God. And over time, those people were instrumental in weeding the lies out of the garden of Peter's heart. And I'm not going to exaggerate and say one conversation and he was healed because it took time. But let's remember, he had eight months of weeds. Eight months of thoughts, of self-doubt, of questioning. And I'm saying this because some of you, you don't have this. You don't have an adequate shield of fellowship to withstand the darts of hell. There's arrows coming from hell towards you, and you need a shield of fellowship. You need godly friends and mentors who can stand with you. You may have information, but you do not have impartation. You need people who can identify and reach the weeds that you cannot reach by yourself. 
That's why we talk about small groups and ministry teams every single Sunday at Substance, and we will every single Sunday. Not because we need you to be in a small group or a ministry team, because you need to be in a small group or ministry team, because being a hearer of the word and not actually doing it, not actually applying it, James 1.22 says you are deceived. You're deceived. I can preach God's word to you, and I am right now. But depending on the soil content of your heart, will it bear fruit? Will you be able to hear, understand, and apply God's word? Statistically, if you have four to seven godly friends, mentors in your life, I'm telling you, you will experience fruit and growth because they're, you're allowing them into, if you allow them into your life, not have fake accountability, but real accountability, where they can challenge you and help you grow. They can pull out the weeds. They can speak life over you. So let me end here by asking this question. Where is the thief? Where is the accuser? Where is the father of lies at work in you today? I think it's super important to note that this isn't a maturity test in the sense of like, you're going to finally become this super mature Christian and you're never going to hear the lies of the enemy and you're never going to experience accusation because we, Jesus experienced the lies of the enemy. Jesus experienced accusations and he was perfect and he was the son of God. It will be the rest of your life. The devil accuses day and night. Maturity is not evolving beyond this. Maturity is recognizing it and stopping it and standing firm and resisting the devil. All of us today have something, have an area in our life where the devil is either stealing, he's accusing, or he's whispering a lie. The best way to identify that is where do you feel the most hopeless? Is it your relationships? Is it your marriage, your finances, your physical body, your job, your mental health, your emotions, your thoughts? Where do you feel most hopeless? Because for me, that's usually when the thief is at work. I believe God brought you to church today so that we can all be aware of these strategies of the enemy. It's so important that we identify these, these lies. Where is he stealing? Where is he accusing? Where is he whispering? Let's identify. I just can't wait for small groups that so we're identifying these lie lists together where we can help. We want to help you find godly friends. We want to help you find safe spaces so that we can speak God's word of life into, your, into you, that you can stand against the strategies of the devil and that God's word would bear fruit in your life. So close your eyes with me. I want to end just with a moment of surrender. Are some of you here today where you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You're here today and you can acknowledge that you're not experiencing life to the fullest. Can I just tell you, God wants to adopt you into his family today. He wants to be your heavenly father. He sent his son Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life. And if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved today others of you here today where you believe in God, you've given part of your life to him, but you struggle to trust Jesus to be your Lord. You've struggled to surrender your all to him, or maybe you've never allowed people to weed out the lies of the enemy in your life. Let's just take a moment. Let's just all surrender. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'd love for you to repeat after me. Would you just repeat, Jesus, I acknowledge my life isn't working. I need your salvation and life. 
Forgive me of my stubbornness and pride. I surrender to you. Come and fill me with your spirit of life through Christ Jesus. Help me find godly friends. Help me and understand and apply your word. I want to experience your life to the fullest. If you agree with that, would you just say amen? Amen means I agree. It means yes, let it be so. Let me just pray over you. God, I just thank you for your word going forth today. I thank you for this community that we have together. I just thank you for your life that is being imparted, your hope, your promises of God that are true, that are perfect for our lives. And I thank you that as a result of today, we're all gonna walk away with a revelation of who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Campus pastors, come on up. Tell us where we're gonna go next.